My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is Process Driven. In this episode, I'm doing something a little different. One of the goals I've had for Process Driven from the beginning has been to expand the scope of the conversations I have beyond visual arts as an exploration into how and where creativity overlaps, regardless of the discipline. In this episode, I'm sitting down with Glenda Cruz, a Canadian musician who records under the name North Atlantic Explorers. I was introduced to Glenn's music by a listener of my other podcast on Taking Pictures, who emailed and asked if he could send me one of Glenn's CDs. I'm so thankful that he did, because My Father Was a Sailor is a gorgeous, atmospheric homage to Glenn's late father, who was an engineer on merchant ships in the North Atlantic during the 1950s. After his father died, Glenn embarked on a journey of his own that ultimately took him from his home in Vancouver to the seas sailed by his father nearly six decades earlier. And it all began with a pair of drumsticks and a stack of cardboard boxes. Here's my conversation with Glenda Cruz from North Atlantic Explorers. How did this all start? Where did music come from initially for you? Uh, my earliest, the earliest things I can remember being interested in music, I remember I was probably in about fourth grade, uh, music class or choir, we were singing Bridge Over Troubled Water, the Simon Garfunkel song. It's a great song. Fantastic song. So you're, you're 10 years old singing Simon and Garfunkel. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, thank, thanks to the teacher, I guess, for that. Right. Um, introducing me to something so cool. Um, and uh, I remember going out, and I, I think that was probably my first vinyl album I ever bought was uh, was that album. Wow. And um, and then the next thing I can remember would probably be uh, I was probably around twelve years old, eleven, man, eh, eleven years old. And for Christmas, I got a clock radio. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had never really listened to too much music before that. I don't, not that I remember anyway. Music Uh, as in radio or even LPs? I think music of any kind. Hmm. I I didn't, I don't remember listening to too much music when I was, when I was young until I got that clock radio. And then I started listening to, you know, AM, AM radio, top, top 40 radio. Mm Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, and I, I remember sort of around, yeah, around grade seven or so, sort of, you know, really getting into music. Um, and, you know, AM radio was, was like, uh, Journey and Foreigner and sure. Jay Giles Band and The Police. And, um, and, and were there aspirations of, of playing music? I do remember right around, I don't know if, the two went hand in hand or not, you know, first discovering the radio and, and being interested in playing music. But somewhere along around that time, I got a pair of drumsticks as a gift Mm -hmm. and I would, um, that was around that time. Also, we moved to, uh, British Columbia from, from Ontario. And I remember I didn't have a drum set, so I had all these moving boxes right. and I would just like bash on these moving boxes. I would put on a pair of headphones and turn on the radio and, and just drum along to the radio 
uh, bashing these moving boxes to shreds. <laughs> nice. And uh, like literally, I went through box after box. I'd you know I'd have one box. I'd bash one side. I'd you know turn it you know turn it a few degrees to the right, side. And, right. And, and bang, bang the other side, and I'd you know so I'd literally over the course of a few months, I went through many many boxes. And <laughs> it was soon after that that I got my first. I think my parents realized you know we should maybe he's not giving this up. We should probably look into getting him a proper drum set, which I did probably around yeah twelve, probably twelve years old. So they were they were supportive pretty straight away then with the with your your budding musical career, yeah. Sounds yeah. like it. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know uh, a lot. A lot of parents who whose kids are, you know, I think, I think a lot of parents try and turn their kids away from the drums and more towards, you know, recorder or something else. Maybe yeah. I don't. Know. But uh, recorder really is is that well, what they turn them towards? Well, <laughs> probably not. <laughs> probably not. Uh, maybe no, probably not. But. Um, yeah, I was lucky lucky that my parents were were supportive, and I don't remember them having any issues with me playing the drums. So mm-hmm. that was great. There had to be a band in there somewhere. When did the first band kind of yeah, form? I, uh, probably around fourteen, fifteen, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having some friends who were uh, kind of musical as well, and they I think one of them played keyboards of course that time sort of talking mid 80s now uh so yeah i had a friend who was into the keyboards and i think another friend played guitar or bass so we kind of get got together and messed around but i don't think that was really too much to speak of it was uh you know i think a lot of a lot of musicians now will probably look back and tell you their first bands were you know when they were sort of that age were kind of garbagey so mine was no different yeah all right now, I, I know I'm skipping a, a ton of time, but when did it start to become serious for you? When when did you think maybe this is a career path? Uh, I think uh, I played with some bands that you know had some decent success locally here in the Vancouver area, mm-hmm. and we started playing more and more shows, more and more live shows. You know, we got a little bit of a following. People would you know, come to see us play and, you know, the shows were pretty well attended. Uh, I think after that, we, shortly after that, we probably started getting some more higher profile shows opening for touring bands, out of town bands. And and what band were you in? What's the name of the band that you're in at this, at this point? Uh, I was playing with a few bands at the same, around the same time, some overlapping, some not like, can't remember exactly now what year and what band, but those bands uh, led to led to you know re- recording and releasing some albums and some touring um, across Canada and pockets of the U.S. and Europe. So yeah, I guess that probably the next phase of the musical journey. So what's what's in the interim between touring and playing? this this very hardcore kind of music to skylines which is a complete departure how did how did that transition where did it start and take me through a little bit of that yeah i can remember being on tour in spain and 
as any musician will know, there's when you're on tour, there's an awful lot of downtime. Uh, and so, especially, you know, throughout Europe, there's a lot more, uh, at that time we were on, it was like a six week, almost a two month tour. Um, and touring Europe is very different than touring Canada. Touring Canada, sometimes you're spending 12 hours driving from one city to the next, but a lot of European destinations are, you know, two hours away. Mm -hmm. So... A lot of downtime. So I remember uh, to kill time, sort of picking up the guitar, one of the guitarists' guitars, and, and I'd never played any guitar before, and just kind of messing around with it, and um, sort of that was my first uh, sort of foray into learning the guitar. I guess you'd say. Mm-hmm. And so I just hacked around with that, and I think soon after that, I started writing songs writing songs of my own, which up to this point I had, I'd always been the drummer and, uh, depending on the band, sometimes, you know, my, my level of being involved in the actual songwriting was sometimes a lot, sometimes not that much, depending on the group I was playing with. But so this is the, my, my first, uh, sort of foray into writing my own music. Mm-hmm. And, and did the guitar come easily for you? I would say not. Mm-hmm. I, I, uh, you know, I, I just got to a point where I could write some songs, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And uh, but my my theory, and you know, music theory and chords and uh, keys and all that kind of music terminology and theory, I was pretty much non-existent mm-hmm. and the so completely the, the, the technical nature of it completely foreign to you. you're playing all by ear yeah i was playing by ear and you know even even you know i'd later when i began playing my own music with other with other people i'd be showing them okay i, I do this and i because i couldn't i couldn't say well we're playing in the key of d and you know where i'm going from this chord to this chord i didn't know the names of any of that stuff i just put my fingers where it sounded here's here's where i have my hands when i'm playing this exactly right wow and 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 people would tell me well that's not a chord that's you know you you, know what 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 chord is that and i say i i don't know and they're like well it's sort of sort of a (laughs) g and it's sort of a d and it's kind of halfway and it's a augmented whatever it is and I'd say, okay, well, anyway, so you you guys figured out, and this is what I'm playing. You guys, right. you guys adapt. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I was I was definitely self-taught when it comes to guitar, and uh, yeah, no, I wouldn't say it come it came easily, but I just uh, I think I was more interested in just writing songs, mm-hmm. and so I just uh, I just got to a point where where I could, you know write some songs that I thought sounded halfway decent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so the songwriting, it sounds like the songwriting was the goal and the guitar was the best tool at hand to, to accomplish that goal. Yeah, I think yeah. so at, at yeah. that time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At that time, um, you know, later on I would, well, going back a little earlier, I, I took piano lessons for a few years when I was younger, but I, Again, I don't really remember, you know, I I know the basics of like the the treble clef and the bass clef and the staff and you know, reading reading basic music. But 
again, my theory is never that strong and I, I was never that interested in playing piano when I was that age anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I was probably more interested in being outside playing hockey or something on the, on the road. <laughs> right. Right. Um, as one would as a Canadian, right? Oh yeah. That's, that's what we do up here. Right. <laughs> um, and so yeah, piano or guitar was, you know, when I first started writing my own music, it was, it was, uh, guitar based, but, uh, soon after that, I started uh, incorporating the piano as well. Um, and again, I had to, it, again, it's sort of kind of self-taught and I just kind of put my fingers, same same approach as the guitar. I was just mm-hmm. putting my fingers on the piano where it sounded good. Where it sounded good to you, sure. And uh, and again, I'm sure my chords aren't real chords and, you know, I just, uh, yeah, it's, it's all about what sounded best to my ear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think guitar and piano, um, were the main kind of instruments that I would use to, to write music, write my first sort of, uh, initial, uh, initial songs. I'm, I'm fascinated by the departure from the type of music that you were playing versus the type of music that you were, that you were writing on your own. It's almost like one, one was becoming sort of the day job and then and then the night job was was figuring out where you wanted to go artistically creatively musically yeah that's that's definitely true uh i uh even though i was playing that kind of you know heavy punk rock or hardcore or aggressive music mm-hmm. live uh i think i was I don't really remember listening, at least at that point. You know, my high school years, I was listening to a lot of that music, but I remember sort of late '80s listening. Uh, the, the music I was listening to was was quite different. I was definitely going through a bit of a transition and listening to more, I guess, uh, call it indie rock or all alternative music, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so the music I was listening to wasn't necessarily the music that I was playing. Right, right. Yeah. And how did that go over with, I mean, were the, were the guys in the band of kind of the same mindset or did that kind of start to rub the wrong way in terms of, of not, not being, I don't know, almost fully committed to it? Yeah, I think, I think that maybe was, uh, did come into play. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, when you'd be on tour, people would play, you know, people would take take turns putting on music uh, in the van, the tour van, right? And I think the stuff that I was playing was very different than what everyone mm-hmm. else would put on. So, <laughs> like, what's actually, going on here? <laughs> yeah, I can actually remember, uh, are you familiar with Freddie Johnson? No. Fruity okay. Johnson? Freedy. F-R-E-E-D-Y. No, Freedy Johnson. No. Freedy Johnson. Uh, so I, I, just as an example, I remember we're driving. Where were we? I, I, it's interesting how music you can, music and uh, actual location, you can kind of remember where you were when you heard certain songs. Hmm, sure, sure. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't know, this is kind of weird, but I can, I can still remember <clears throat> driving into Barcelona and, and Freddie Johnson 
is uh, I think it was an album called Can You Fly? It was the, in- the album. That- so we were playing. I, I, I had put it on and he's got a kind of pretty unique voice. Uh, it's I guess you can kind of describe it as kind of whiny. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'd, we'd listened to almost the whole album and I think it's getting down to like the last song or two and he's he's extra whiny on this song he's, he's, <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember the name of the song but just like I'm, I'm gonna sing it a bit he's, he, put your red dress on <laughs> we'll go out tonight something not, like that not something uh, a hardcore band probably would listen to by choice no no not at all it's it a little bit bluesy and, right right um and i i remember like you know halfway through that song our, our tour manager who was who was german he, he's like will you take this off turn this crap off you know he'd listen he'd listen to it for you know three quarters of the album but he just couldn't take it anymore right so. right I've, I've i've done all i can yeah, I think that's one example, and I'm sure there were other examples of, uh, you know, what I was listening to was was definitely not what I was playing at that at, mm-hmm. at that time, and mm-hmm. I think I think people probably realize that I'm kind of not that into, uh, you know, I, I I still played well live, and sure. you know, I was in into the, you know into the shows or whatever, but. Yeah, definitely a difference between what I was listening to and playing. Was was North Atlantic Explorers when when did that start to sort of emerge as as a next step? When did when did that project you sort of spearheading this project become real? So I think after I, I had you know I explained about writing some songs and I played with a band. Um, playing these songs live, and I think we've recorded them a little bit, rough recordings. But I think I, I got to a point where I wanted to release my own an album of my own music, mm-hmm. and I don't I, I don't remember thinking anything beyond that at the time, uh, other than I would like to something I would like to do is is you know to to say I'd I'd have done it. And was there was there a thought from the beginning on this of of you sort of being the architect of this, and you're going to bring in kind of session players, or did did you want to play as much as you as you could? How how did you decide the the, the actual logistics or the physicality of how this this project came together? You know, when I was playing these some of these songs that would later appear on on Skylines. Uh, playing them sort of earlier on with, with the band that I described. I don't remember if it really, really grabbed me in, in the way that I thought it should. Mm-hmm. The music, the process, both? I think both. I think I had some frustration with, uh, you know, there was a lot of good to it as well, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I still keep in touch with uh, the guys who I, I played with at that time, but 
I think there was a point where I realized or or thought that you know what if I if I'm going to do this I kind of wanted to do it the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm I'm make no bones that I'm a bit of a control freak and perfectionist. Mm-hmm. And so I did want to do it the way that uh, I want. I, I wanted to be in control of the uh, you know the way it turned out. And so sure. So so I could ultimately say you know what this is. This is my this thumbprint. This is exactly. this, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like it's it's at least partially a reaction to to the previous sort of incarnation of your music, in in terms of you're just the drummer, you know, sort of you're 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 playing other people's tunes, you're you're showing up, you're playing, but it's not what you would call you. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the case, and you know, and there's there's nothing at all wrong with bands where they there are four members and they collaboratively work on an album together sure. and, and create something together. And that's completely valid. But just from where I was, I, I wanted to be able to say, you know, a hundred percent, this is, this is the way I, I did it, the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And how was it received? Uh, pretty well. Uh, I think when I was recording it, like I, like I had mentioned, I just wanted to put out an album of my own music and I, I don't think I'd really thought too much past that. And I had no idea what exactly the, the response would be. Uh, but, uh, it was, uh, received pretty well. It, I mean, the, the reviews it received were, I would say 90% or more, uh, were pretty, uh, favorable reviews. So mm-hmm. I was, and, uh, and like I said, I, I had no idea what people were going to think of it. I, I had no sort of context or framework like to know where where my music would fit into the whole musical landscape that's already existing out there so mm-hmm. so I was curious to see and right. uh, yeah encouraged by the fact that uh people liked it and you know there's people all over the world at that time you know it's kind of the MySpace era of the internet, I suppose. So it's interesting to see that, you know, there's people all over the world sort of interested in your music. And Given that, why the nine-year gap between that and my father was a sailor? And were the, the nautical themes that are in Skylines, were those an intentional nod to your father? Or were those something that you found yourself drawn to and and sort of unearthed or explored in more detail in that nine year period leading up to my father was a sailor. Uh, okay, to tackle the first one about the <laughs> Just nine two, years, two little ones, two little questions. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> Deep breath. <laughs> nine year gap. Uh, I think there were a variety of reasons. Uh, I think. Probably the biggest explanation would would be just family mm-hmm. family uh, reasons. My, my my dad's health was not that good around that time. Um, I had young kids as well, mm-hmm. and uh, and so it it was just really tough to find time. I think sure. is is the most. Uh, obvious answer to that um were you still writing and recording things for yourself in that interim 
Yeah, I think w- when I had time, I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, you know, when I had time, I was definitely involved in, you know, spending that free time uh, actively working on writing songs and music. And so I know people would see that nine-year gap and probably think I did nothing. But I, I was recording and there were a few attempts made at... Uh, recording some like a follow-up album mm-hmm. um i don't know if those i think we i kind of made a couple of different starts and then kind of abandoned what i was doing and started again and abandoned again tends to be my <clears throat> the way i do things sometimes i i resonate with that completely I mean, <laughs> my my creative life is is if nothing else a series of fits and starts where yeah. i will create a bunch of work, whatever that work may be. And then I don't even know the reasons myself. Most of the time it just stops. Yeah, for sure. And, um, mentioning before how I, I'm a perfectionist and, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I'm I'm sure some of that stuff was probably pretty good or others might think it was pretty good, but Mm -hmm. will it ever see the light of day? Uh, yeah, yeah, some of it, some of it probably turned into, um, songs that are on my father's sailor, Mm -hmm. um, probably in, you know, like some of those songs, but in a different, uh, different kind of format, Mm -hmm. different kind of, uh, you know, we kind of recorded them in a different style or different, different manner. So, uh, I think that's probably... Um, mostly addressed the first question about sure. why the gap. Yeah, sure. Um, and then to answer the second question, um, I was actually working on. So after the fits and starts of recording, uh, I was actually well into the process of recording a follow-up album to Skylines. Um, some of the songs were nautical themed, but it wasn't a fully nautical themed album. Mm -hmm. I think I had like three or four songs that for some reason, um, had that, you know, kind of sea theme to it. Mm -hmm. Um, during, and, and we're pretty, pretty well into the process. I'd say like, you know, two thirds of the way or three quarters of the way through recording or finishing this album, uh, when my dad passed away. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, just to give a little background about my dad, he, uh, during way back in the 1950s, he was an engineer on British merchant Navy, uh, steamer ships Mm -hmm. and, and spent most of that decade, most of the uh, 1950s on 15 or so working on 15 or so different ships uh, as an engineer different uh, anywhere from like a I think when he started he was like a fourth or fifth engineer and then by the time he uh, later that decade he was probably you know second or third or second engineer on depending on the ship mm-hmm. and where were these ships based out of yeah so he lived in Scotland for all that time and he was mm. based in Glasgow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I kind of shifted my focus. Uh, I kind of put that album that I was working on on hold 
and shifted my focus I, I to create uh, a new album, which would become My Father's a Sailor. Mm-hmm. And so I used the nautical theme songs that I had been working on already. Uh, I wrote, probably my dad's uh, passing inspired me to write uh, some additional ones. Sure. Had you had and, an interest in telling his story before he got sick? Because there, there are, even on Skylines 2005, you've got, you know, some some song titles, at least, that are reminiscent of, of nautical themes. So was there something kind of creeping in there under the surface? Or did it become more important once he got sick and, and, and ultimately passed? Yeah, uh, the songs on Skylines, I, I, I have had people um, tell me before that they thought that was a nautical, nautical-themed release but or or maybe not fully nautical theme but had that kind of undercurrent like mm-hmm. you mentioned under mm-hmm. the surface um i don't think it was intentional i think i think uh at least on skylines anyway my lyrical approach at that time was to just kind of i'd kept like a, a notebook of of phrases and words and things like that that i that appealed to me for some reason or another. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of jamming all these phrases, you know, grabbing a phrase here and putting a phrase there and putting Mm -hmm. it all together. So I don't think there was any, if if you would ask me the songs on Skylines, what they're about, uh, I don't necessarily think they're about anything. It's just, uh, sometimes it's just imagery. Sure. I'm trying to create imagery to support the music. Sure. Much least, less of a of a full concept record than than my father was a sailor. Yes, yeah, I would say yeah. So. yeah. A, much less of an intentional concept record, anyway. Yeah, mm-hmm, for sure, mm-hmm. for sure. So yeah, so that's how my father was a sailor kind of came to be. Was uh, you know, I, like I said, I uh, I had some existing songs, uh, wrote some new ones, and and were, were you aware of his history? His his sailing history as a child growing up was it something that that you guys talked about or or did some of this come after the fact that you kind of uncovered this this history of him? Yeah, it's the latter for sure. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A lot of it is after the fact, and I uh, you know despite the fact that I was aware of I was aware of it, and you know sometimes he'd get together with someone that he'd worked with in Scotland and, you know, uh, he was, he, from time, he, he would talk about Scotland and, and Glasgow and working on the ships, but he would kind of talk about it with, uh, w- with other people and I would just kind of overhear it. Hmm. And, uh, to be honest, I, I, I'm much more interested in it now than I was when I was a, when I was a, younger a teenager or whatever mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and I, I really don't know uh it's hard for me to explain why that is uh i, I think it's something about fathers and sons i really maybe, do i mean maybe, i i became much more interested in my father's life younger life after he passed away than i ever was while he was alive yeah yeah maybe it's something to that or just Maybe I just thought he'd always be around, and I'd all I'd have time to ask him about it later. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't recall why I didn't. Uh, because now I find it very interesting, and I, I've I've got you know a million questions for him, or I 
would have had mm-hmm. questions for him. Is um, your mom able to answer some of those and, and fill in some of the, some of the gaps for you? Some of them, mm-hmm. but, uh, but not nearly as, as much as I sort of have the desire to, to know or find out about. Sure. And so, yeah. So I, I think a lot of, a lot of the lyrics and the songs are, that are on my father's uh, father's sailor are me sort of maybe putting maybe me putting myself in his place and kind of wondering what it would be like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be to be on those ships and sailing those seas. Right. Well, one of the things that that I I, I love the idea of of. Uh, sort of atmospherics in recordings. And when I first heard this, I think it was even the first time that you and I spoke, I said it reminded me of Dream Academy. And and you were like, oh, oh, I got a great story. I got a great story for for one of the cameos on the record. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Like the the shipping reports and that kind of thing? Sure. Um, BBC uh, for many, many years for decades now um has had a uh shipping forecast on uh i think it airs like four times a day and if you google it or wikipedia it um there's there's a lot of information on it and it's it's pretty cool uh the shipping forecast in particular there's a shipping forecast that i think for many many years has aired somewhere around midnight on on bbc radio Hmm. And the shipping forecast is just, you know, meant, meant to be a little bit of a, you know, forecast for all the ships uh, uh, out on the ocean and and the seafarers out there, and you know what they can expect mm-hmm. weather wise. What is like a weather report for the the tides, the, winds, that kind of thing, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for the areas surrounding the UK mm-hmm. uh, in all in all different directions. Um, and so the shipping forecast, it's uh, it's it's read in a very unique kind of style and delivery. Um, the yeah, there's, a, there's it, a specific cadence to it, isn't there? There is, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the wording itself, uh, I guess you'd have to hear it to to know if you've if you've never heard one, but um, just the choice of words. And the terminology and kind of jargon mm-hmm. is uh, is very uh, almost poetic. Like mm-hmm. I think you know, for people around the world, maybe they're less familiar with shipping forecasts. But for those in the UK, I think a lot of them have kind of grown up with it for uh, you know for many years. They've you know people, even elderly people now, have probably grown up with it and heard it on the child in their childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, and in particular, I think the, the one that airs at midnight, uh, is accompanied by a piece of music called sailing by. And it's kind of like this tranquil lilting kind of, um, piece of music that kind of precedes the shipping forecast. And I think a lot of people from, from what I understand, uh, in the UK have, have kind of regarded this shipping forecast as, uh, kind of associated with going to sleep mm-hmm. and, and bedtime and mm-hmm. um, 
And I, I, th- I think like there's there's a nostalgia too for you know people who've kind of grown up with it and sure heard this throughout their whole lives and so yeah so the shipping forecast itself is kind of this I don't know, really unique 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 kind of entity and um, so I I wanted to uh, include a shipping forecast on my father's sailor sailor I thought it would be a neat kind of thing to do. Uh, initially, I approached the BBC about using uh, some audio from, like, you know, 1950s era audio mm-hmm. uh, to include on the album as some sort of a interlude or something to that effect. And, sure. And they, yeah, they. I, I can't remember if they said they they didn't have any audio from that time or they couldn't give us permission to use it. So then I thought, well, what's stopping me from just creating my own sure. shipping forecast, which is what we did. Um, and there was a, a woman at the at the BBC who uh, was actually quite helpful with providing me with scripts, mm, mm-hmm. uh, like kind of sample scripts, which yeah, kind of altered a little bit. Um, so they are authentic-ish to, to an authentic-ish. actual... Authentic-ish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think I probably uh, tailored them a little bit to, you know, kind of altered them here and there just because I liked some, uh, the, the the area around the UK is divided up into, I think it's like 30 different sea areas mm-hmm. and each with a, each with a really kind of unique name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah, and, and and different common terminology and different kind of weather uh, descript weather descriptors and so there's I kind of tailored it to something that I I kind of liked, um, and I also some of the sea areas have changed the names have changed over the years, uh, not a lot but a little bit so I I remember going back and I'm pretty sure it's Heligoland is now referred to as something different but. Heligoland was one of the sea areas in the 1950s, so I tried to make it. Uh, I've included that in the shipping forecast as well. I tried to make it as 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 authentic as I could to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what you would have heard in 1950s. Well, and and to the to the roots that your father would have would have been using, yeah, for sure, for yeah, sure, yeah. Um, and so uh, I wasn't exactly sure who I would get to voice that shipping forecast but um giving the back given the background with my dad's uh living in glasgow um i did want a scottish voice to read it and i i remember uh there's a bell and sebastian the band bell and sebastian on their album the boy with the arab strap they had a song and i can't Really remember the name of it now? It might have been called the Space Boy Dream. Um, pretty sure that's the name of it now, and uh, and it's like a, a spoken word narrative. Um, and Stuart David, who was the bassist for Bell and Sebastian, he was one of the founding members and uh, was part of the core of the band there for quite a few years. Uh, he was the one who voiced that uh, Space Boy Dream. And uh, and I thought, oh yeah, he, uh, I I always loved 
I've always loved the Scottish accent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and in particular, the sound of his voice on that, on that song, uh, always appealed to me. And so I, uh, approached him about, uh, would he be interested in voicing the shipping forecast? And so great. Yeah. So cool. I, 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 Honestly, I, I can't remember if I actually expected him to or thought he would do it or not. I, actually, I, I, his his first response to me, he said, let me think about it. Um, Did you send him the track in the initial correspondence? Uh, I don't think so initially. Mm-hmm. I, I probably did soon after. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the track that the music that was... Uh, would be used underneath the shipping forecast was at the time that he ended up doing it was not it's different music than uh, actually created a new, a new piece of music to go underneath that than what he had read at the time mm-hmm. um, was there thought of using sailing by that that initial sort of official rather shipping report music yes yeah. yes yeah. exactly that that was uh, the piece of music that uh, that was supposed to be underneath it, but mm-hmm. I, I can't really remember why I made that adjustment or shift mm-hmm. away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but sailing by uh, the music that was supposed to appear under that shipping forecast is now um, appears on all the ships at sea. Mm-hmm. The uh, the comp- companion release to my father's sailor as well. Um, I can't remember. Okay. So yeah. So Stuart, um, so Stuart David, yeah, he was, uh, he sent me an email saying, uh, uh, let me give it some thought or something to that effect. And, sure. And I thought, oh, okay, well. That's, that's the end of it. Th- that's the end of <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. That's but, the uh, polite way of saying, sorry, kid. I'm exactly, not interested. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's fully was what I was expecting, but right, I was right. happily, you know, surprised to, um, a few days later, he said, "Yeah, okay, let's do it." Hmm. And so, uh, so that was, uh, uh, and I, I love his, uh, you know, like I mentioned, I'd, I enjoyed his his uh, voicing and narrative on that Bell and Sebastian track, and yeah. and I was just as pleased with uh, uh, his his reading on this uh, shipping forecast. Yeah, it's for- terrific. I mean, it just it it sets the initial tone of the record so well. You know, and and everything just sort of both follows and builds from that point on. It's 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 a terrific addition. Yeah, and there's actually two two sort of portions to it. There's the the shipping forecast it, itself, which is uh, the track Hebrides Bailey Fair Isle, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which appears near the uh, near the end of the album. And then there's also like a uh, what would you call it? At the very start of the album, he voices a little piece too, like a gale warning. I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I referred to it as, and so yeah, he also refer uh, voices that gale warning at the start. And now the shipping forecast issued at double oh one five on Saturday, twenty sixth of November, nineteen fifty five. The general synopsis: a one nine double oh, low North Atlantic one thousand and six, losing its identity. Low 180 miles west of Shannon. 1018 expected East Bailey by midday. New high expected fair. And you were also asking about Dream Academy. Yes. 
So, so yeah, like uh, you had previously uh, said that uh, there's something on the album that reminded you of Dream Academy, and uh, the kind of irony to that is that uh, independent of you know uh, of your comment there about Dream Academy, Stuart David had also said the exact same thing. That's made so that funny. Same, made and, that same Dream Academy reference, yeah. And I don't know what it is. It's not because I mean your voice and and Nick Laird Close's voice they're very different. I don't know if it's if it's the arrangement or if it's it, there's just a feeling about it. Do you know what I mean? It just it just feels very similar. And I I I I can't point to a lot of different bands uh, or or records that have that same mood or feeling to them. And it's, it's just, it's terrific. And it was, it was absolutely the first thing I thought of when I heard the record. Yeah. And I, I just thought that was completely interesting. That, you know, <laughs> two ind- independent people would, you know, make On that different same. continents. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, and I, I, I'm, I know from Stuart in particular, he was referring to the track, uh, the Dream Academy track, Life in a Northern Town, yep. which is there. Yep. That was the big one. Big song, right? Right. Back in the '80s, so yeah, um, I don't, I don't know. I've never really listened to too much Dream Academy. I just know that song, and mm-hmm. I've probably heard another one or two, but and I haven't heard it in many, many years. But so, if yeah. let me ask you something: if bef- before I I let you go, tell me about the Iceland, the the ship, the Icelandic ship, because you, sure. you 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 had this opportunity to at least on a smaller scale experience what it what it could have been like for your father on the ships how did how did that come about and Uh, why was it so important that's the other thing why was this something that you had to do for many years now i've always uh i've always had this desire to i don't know why but cross the atlantic on a freighter ship um, I don't know. It's just one of those things that I've always kind of wanted to do, and uh, not really sure what about that appeals to me. But uh, was this was this a a goal or a passion before you you were really aware of of your father's life as as uh, uh, working on ships, or or is this sort of later on as a result of that? Uh, I don't think it's necessarily as a result of it mm-hmm. necessarily. Um, and I don't, I also can't remember, uh, wanting to do that as a, as a kid. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's probably something in my, you know, twenties or thirties or adult life that I thought, Oh, you know, uh, had this idea to do mm-hmm. and, uh, I'd never done it and I'm, you know, after <clears throat> working on these recordings and, and, uh, you know, the passing of my dad and kind of, uh, doing some research into, into the ships he was on and investigating that portion of his life. Uh, I thought, well, you know what, now's the perfect time to do this trip. And, uh, my, my goal was to travel, you know, just a short trip somewhere around. I, I wanted to, 
be as close to kind of the waters that he would have sailed as mm-hmm. possible just to kind of get a get a sense of what what he would have experienced mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh you know just a very small glimpse into you know what it's like to be uh in that kind of area um are any of the ships that he sailed on still in use uh i don't think so i think i've probably I think I remember looking into those ships a, a while back for mm-hmm. seeing what I could find for f- photographs and mm-hmm. whatnot. I, I I don't think so. I think that's uh, they're definitely if they are in use, they're definitely not you know used by the merchant navy anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I would doubt if they are, but I can't say that for a fact. Um, and. So I approached uh, various shipping companies uh, about, and, and so I, like I was saying, I was wanting to travel in that kind of in those waters, like the North Sea, North Atlantic. Um, that was my area of interest, and approached shipping companies about the possibility of uh, taking, you know, sort of uh, getting passage somewhere in those in that area on one of their ships and uh I had a lot of no's <laughs> a lot of no's and a lot of yeah uh a lot of no responses right and, and, and did was, you explain the what and the why like why this was important and and the project that it had come out of or was it did you did you attempt this sort of independently of of the creative work that had come before it I feel as if I Probably did, mm-hmm. you know, give a couple lines as to, you know, my purpose for wanting to right. board the ship. And still everybody was a no or almost everybody. Yeah. 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 I think so. And I, I had all but given up on this uh, idea. Um, and then I found this one Icelandic, Icelandic uh, shipping line called Imskip. And uh, sent one last email, and I, I I do remember thinking, okay, this is this is the last one I'm sending out. If this if this falls through, then you know, I'm pulling plug on this. We're gonna let this go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> all right. And uh, and they were okay with it. Yeah. So I was uh, the 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 other kind of component to this all was um, wanting to film videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to film some footage to use as videos for songs from the album. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also wanted to do this trip uh, on the, on these kind of northern waters in the middle of winter, too. Of course. As, yeah. as, as one would do, because otherwise, you know, the North Atlantic is, is so peaceful. <laughs> yeah, well, especially at that time of year, right? So, uh, oh, yeah. You're a brave I mean, man, Glenn. Yeah. Well, crazy or something, but you know, like I said, it, it, it's it's. I think it's a desire to, you know, even if it's for a day or two or three, to uh, experience experience some, you know, extreme weather. Mm-hmm. That was my goal, anyway. Um, and uh, so yeah, the, the, you know, it actually worked out with this one uh, shipping line and. Uh, we actually traveled myself and my friend Greg, who's a 
cinematographer, mm-hmm. um, filmmaker. He uh, came with me on the trip to you know to film the videos for the uh, footage for the videos. So we boarded ship. Uh, where was it now? It was the eastern part of England, um, in uh, just near Hull. Mm-hmm. Uh, the port was called Immingham, or Immingham, or probably pronounced Immingham. I'm guessing British pronunciation. Right. Uh, and it was a three three to four day trip from from there, and it was direct to um, to Reykjavik in Iceland. Oh, wow. Wow. And uh, it was crazy. It was uh, okay. So we didn't actually experience the extreme, extreme weather that I was kind of hoping for uh, before we left. Which I don't know. There, yeah. there are some photos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> looks, there are. It looks, it looks pretty harsh. It, yeah, if you you know, and and uh, before our trip, I kind of YouTube some stuff. If you actually you know look for YouTube, like North Sea winter, right? You know stormy weather or whatever there there's some things that you know you just make your jaw drop right yeah swells going over the 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 top of these giant freighter cargo yeah it's it's harsh terrifying yeah yeah yeah. and so i was and you wanted to go there (laughs) well yeah i did (laughs) i I did I, i i was i was curious to you know I definitely had that trepidation, trepidation right. too, that I, you know, I'm like, okay, we're going to do this. I don't know what it's going to be like, but, uh, let's see what happens. And so we didn't actually, uh, experience anything that was, that was that extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, although we had, uh, one day in particular that was pretty rocky. Um, and you can probably see if you see some of the videos, um, some of the videos will, will kind of show that. Right. Um, and so I, I think in, in hindsight now, it's probably best that we didn't have that extreme weather cause we would have been in no shape to mm-hmm. video anything. Mm-hmm. I mean, even as it was on that one day, we were, we were still kind of, um, a little green there. So, right, right. Uh, but it was a it was a great experience. Uh, it was just uh, the two of us, and I think there were eleven Icelandic crew, um, and they were pretty. Uh, I think I think they were pretty intrigued as to what we were doing on their ship in the in winter, especially. Right. right. I, I think I think they, <laughs> they had to be there. You you chose to be there. It, well, exactly. That's the, <laughs> that's the big difference, and I think they were kind of pretty amused by that. And, right interested and asked us well, why are you here <laughs> and uh and i think one of them had explained to me that you know it's pretty rare for them to have any passengers at all sure and and if they did it was never in winter wow and so uh but it was a great experience i mm-hmm. i i enjoyed it what was your takeaway what did, what did you get out of it what was what was the takeaway for you both personally and as it, as the experience kind of relates to the history of your father. Yeah, I just tried to soak it up as best I could and and try and imagine what what life was like for my dad in 
you know, 60 odd years ago, mm-hmm. uh, sailing those, some of those same waters. And, uh, I, th- I thought a couple of things, uh, as I, as I was on the boat, uh, frequently, one was the fact that the world has changed so much, you know, like on land and cities and, uh, the world is, is changed over those, over those years. And even going back to the explorers and Leif Erikson and Eric the Red and all those kind of, uh, and, you know, in between then like Franklin and, uh, Jacques Cartier and Columbus and all those explorers. Sure. I try, I tried to imagine, you know, what it was like for, for those, mm-hmm. those people and those crews kind of sailing, you know, hundreds of years ago even. And, uh, and so that's the one thing when you're out at sea, that's the one thing that, you know, you're probably seeing things very similar to what they would have seen. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's other than the ship, everything around the ship is, um, same as what they would have seen. Right. Whereas, you know, you get to land and obviously that the world's changed tremendously since then, obviously. So, uh, that was one thing that I kept coming, kind of thinking about and coming back to. Um, the other thing that I really thought was interesting and kind of fascinated me was, uh, in those three or four days, the ocean would look so different at different times. Um, it had so many different personalities and, hmm. uh, you, you know, like, you know, and it would change from, you know, hour to hour almost, you know, sometimes the, the ocean be like blue and kind of calm. Uh, and then two hours later it would look black and, uh, it's just really hard to describe. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and really rough or wavy and like uh, if thinking back and about what the ocean looked like uh, throughout that those few days, I can I can remember the I can remember the ocean looking, you know, like ten different ways, hmm. which. Uh, which is really interesting. It's hard for me to really describe until right, you, right. You know. But you're sharing those experiences with with you know hundreds of years of history and and dozens of people who who hundreds maybe thousands maybe who knows of of people who have seen those exact views that 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 exact character of the ocean that you've described. Sure. Yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was fascinating, and the and the other thing that kind of uh, kind of crossed my mind many times is that you're so isolated up there. Uh, you know, uh, that time of year, there's not a lot of ships traveling to Iceland. You know, for the very reason the extreme weather that possibilities, mm-hmm. and so once you once you get past the northern tip of Scotland and you know, beyond the Faroe Islands, there's, there's nothing there for a couple of days. Did you find the isolation inspiring at all in terms of, of writing and, and, and future projects? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of an introvert myself. So, you know, I, I, 
I uh, I like that. You know, I'm I like that isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think there's other people who probably couldn't stand it at you know being on that ship, and it would drive them crazy. But but you know, that's the kind of thing that I that interests me, and I'm I'm comfortable in that kind of a setting. It was inspiring, you know. I mean, and it helped, even though the the albums had pretty much been recorded by the time we went on that trip. It helps, you know, put some of the lyrics that I'd written before then into context. I think mm-hmm. having, you know, experienced firsthand what, you know, what I'd kind of written about. I'd like to thank Glenn for taking the time to sit down with me and for allowing me to share some of the fantastic music on My Father Was a Sailor. Uh, It really is a terrific record. Uh, If you'd like to hear more from North Atlantic Explorers, head over to northatlanticexplorers.com where you'll find links to listen and to purchase Skylines, My Father Was a Sailor, and the instrumental companion release, All the Ships at Sea. You'll also find the video for Into the Blue Sea, which was shot in the same waters that Glenn's father once sailed in. You can follow Glenn on Twitter at North Atlantic XP and on Facebook at North Atlantic Explorers. You can stay up to date by subscribing to Process Driven on iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like to read the show notes from the episode or support the show, you can do that at jeffreysadoris.com. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S.com. You can also support the show by sharing it on Twitter or Facebook or by leaving a review or a rating on iTunes. And if you know someone who you think might make an interesting conversation and you can put me in touch with them, you'll find me on Twitter and Facebook at Jeffrey Sidoris. And now as an added bonus, here's The Sailor and the Stenographer by North Atlantic Explorers. Thanks very much for listening and I hope you'll come back for the next one.
Yeah.